Masechet Ketubot, Daf Sadi He. We begin a Mishnah with a fascinating paradoxical case. Mishaya Nasui Shete Nashim. We went in this pedic from two to three to four women, but now we're back to simply two. Umachad et Sadehu. While he's married to these two women, he sells a field, a field that both women have a lien on that field to pay their Ketubah eventually. The first woman, the one who we married first, uh, writes to the buyer of that field, I will have no legal dealings with you. In other words, when it comes time for me to collect my ketuvah, I'm not going to collect it from the land that you bought. The first woman writes that. The second woman makes no such deal. Um, why? I don't know. The first uh, woman maybe is friends with that person. Says, you know, I'm not going to take you to court. Okay, so now eventually either they all get divorced or the man dies, and now the kituvot have to be paid. He doesn't have enough uh, um, uh, free land in his estate, so they have to go after the collected, uh, the one that was sold. So, the first wife cannot take it. She made that deal, but the second wife made no such deal. So the second wife goes ahead and repossesses the land from the buyer. But then, the first wife goes to the second wife and says, I got married first, therefore my lien on the land precedes yours. And the first wife repossesses it from the second wife. Although the first wife guaranteed the buyer, she would not bring the buyer to court to repossess. But now, it's not in the hands of the buyer anymore, it's in the hands of the second wife. And the first wife has uh, every right to uh, sue the second wife and repossess that land. So now it's in the hands of the first wife. But the buyer can go to the first wife and say, hey, you agreed that you're not going to take my land. And so I am out this land that I bought. I'm going to repossess it from you. And he repossesses it. And then it keeps going around because once it's in that state, once again, the second wife has a right to repossess from the buyer. And she does that, then the first wife from the second wife, and then the buyer from the first wife. And you can do this forever. Each one will go to court until they they uh, spend their entire savings on legal fees. So what do they have to do? They have to make some kind of compromise. So each of the three parties has a legal right to repossess the land from each other. So they're perfectly within their right to keep doing that. But it's a kind of uh, prisoner's dilemma. If they do that, then nobody will have access to be able to use the land. Nobody's going to work on the land because then it's going to be taken away at any point. So really, they should get together and at least two of the three should compromise. Even if only two uh, compromise, that will stop the cycle. And uh, um, and so that way they could split the difference however they want to compromise and they'll agree not to take it from each other and so they have to solve it that way. We can create a similar paradoxical scenario uh, regarding a someone a creditor or a, a woman who is a creditor the the end of this uh, gemara will explain this case all right that's the mishnah this uh, is um and uh, with this stuff by the way we are going to complete the 10th pedic so at the very end of the pedic and this of this last mishnah we will explain the last line all right now we ask so what if the first wife told or wrote to the buyer that I will not have any legal dealings with you. I'm not going to uh, to collect it. Even if she says that, 
Is that binding? We learned that it's not binding. We learned this Braita already that if you have two partners in a field and let's say there's something growing, going wrong in the field, there's some problem that has to be dealt with. One of the partners says, listen, I don't want to deal with this problem. So you know what? I have no, no dealings with you regarding this field. I have no dealings with the field. I am removing my hand from it. Even if he says that, it's as if he said nothing because he's still a partner and therefore he's going to be responsible for all the, all the rights and obligations and uh, responsibilities, uh, good or bad, of that field because he's still a partner. Um, so therefore, this woman also, she is a partner in the field in the sense that she has a lien on the husband's field and so therefore she's a partner. And so even if she says, I have no dealings with you regarding this field to the buyer, it's meaningless. So the answer is, must be where they actually, they do a physical transaction, uh, like they do a Kenyan Sudar, they exchange a handkerchief, and um, just like the partners, one partner can actually do that. If he wants to fully relinquish his possession of the, of the field and say, it's all yours, that he can do, and then he won't be responsible to take care of the problem. But he can't just say, I'm not dealing with it. Uh, so we're dealing here with a case in our Mishnah where uh, the woman uh, actually makes a physical kinyan that effectuates her releasing her right to collect the land from the buyer. Okay, now we ask, Yeah, but even if she does such a transaction uh, such uh, th- that concretizes that she's giving up that right, still, does she really mean it? Is it still effect- Is it really effective? She could come after and claim, I just wanted to make my husband happy. I didn't really want to do it. See, she, he had some land. He wanted to sell it. Uh, because whatever reason, he is good for, his, uh, for business. Um, but he knows that I have a lien on it. Now, the buyer is not going to want to buy it if the buyer knows that the wife has a lien on it and may, at any point, whenever the payment, the kid who has to be paid, may come and take it. So the husband says, please, honey, you know, do me a favor. Don't you love me? Uh, give up your right on, give you up your right to the land. So she, she doesn't want to be in a fight with her, with her husband. So she gives into the pressure and she says, okay, right? But she doesn't really mean it because it's really not in her financial best interest. So she can come after and say, I didn't mean it. And therefore I can still collect. Milo Tenan, after all, we have a Mishnah in Gitin that shows this is in fact the case. If a man, if a buyer buys land from a husband and then he goes to the wife also and gets her agreement to it, doesn't mean you have to pay twice, right? He means he gets both of their agreements to buy it, even if he does that, and the wife afterwards says, I didn't really mean it. I never wanted that land to be sold. The land is, the, the sale is void. So you see, So we see from the Mishnah and Gitin that a woman does have a right to say my uh, giving up, of, the giving up of my right was, uh, was not sincere. And therefore she can go back and collect the land. Um, and so, we have a contradiction because in our Mishnah up here, it says that the wife who said, who told the buyer that, um, the, the first wife here, uh, who told the buyer, 
I'm not going to collect the land. She cannot collect the land from that first buyer, right? Her word is binding. Uh, whereas in the Mishnah Gitin, it says that if a wife agreed, uh, said, I'm not going to collect the land from you, her word is not binding and she can still collect it. So how do we reconcile the Mishnah here in Ketubot and the Mishnah in Gitin? We're going to see uh, three different answers to this. Lafrista says, actually, these two Mishnayot, although they're both anonymous, represent two different opinions. Our Mishnah is the that says that it is her word is binding; she cannot collect. Is the word of is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, and the Mishnah in Gitin that says her word is not binding; she can always go back and collect it. Is the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, which we see in the following Baraita, the Tanya. Katav larishon velo hatmalo lasheni vehatmalo ibeda kitubata. This is a little bit more of a complicated case. A, husband, a man is selling two of his fields. Now, when it came around to the first one, the husband said, asked to the wife, asked the wife, hey, listen, could, would you, uh, can you sign on the document showing that you agree to the sale? She says, no, I don't agree to the sale. I don't want to be sold. I'm not signing. Then sometime later, he sells, the husband sells a second piece of land to someone. And this time, he says, can you sign on this one? She says, yes, I will agree uh, on the sale. By saying that, she means she will not, she, she gives up her right to go and, uh, and uh, collect from it. If she does sign the second, then she loses her right for her ketubah totally. She cannot collect from the second because she signed on that sale saying, I'm not going to collect. She also cannot go back to the first, the first uh, buyer. The reason is because the first buyer can make a counterclaim. Listen, when I bought the field, I saw that there was a field there in the husband's uh, uh, possession. That's why I bought the field, knowing that when the when the kituvah has to be paid, it'll be paid from the field that's already there. So therefore, my my buy, uh, my um, purchase is first. And if you want to collect your land, go and take uh, go and take the the second piece of land. Go take the second piece. Right, that sale was second, and so that sale that the land was still around. Therefore, go and take that one. You can't bother me. So the first buyer does have a right to uh, get out of it, and therefore she's stuck because she agreed not to take the first, second piece of land, and she, and she can't go back to the first because the first can say, "Go take the second. That has you have a prior right on that." She loses her ketubah according to the bimeir. You see, according to the bimeir, when she gives up the right, the giving up the right is binding. She cannot go back, and so that would explain our mishnah and ketubot. Whereas according to the biuda, in the same very very same case, she can go to the second guy, even though she signed uh, the, the the sale. She can say, "My husband pressured me, uh, so I wanted shalom bayit. So fine, I signed it, I, and I said I won't collect it, but I didn't mean it, and therefore I have a right to collect it. And therefore she does; she can go and collect it from the second." guy and for whatever reason that doesn't work she can go and well she can collect it from the second guy so that should be enough so the Buddha says that if she gives up her right 
then she um, uh, then it's not binding, and so that would be the opinion of the Mishnah in Gitin. Okay, very good. So we have an answer. The problem is Satam Does it make sense that Abiyuda Nasi, the compiler of the Mishnah, would he make what an anonymous opinion? We do know that. His his methodology was to take a baraita tosefta, some earlier source that has a name on it. It's a minority opinion, and Abiyodanasi would make it anonymous, not because he didn't like the person, but actually as a compliment to say, "I'm making it anonymous to show that is the halacha." Right? I want to present that as the majority opinion. Now, would Abiyodanasi make uh, make one stam mishnah like Rabbi Meir, the one here in Kitubot, and the other one in in Masechet Gitin like Rabbi? Yehuda, now we have a contradiction. Why would you put two Mishnayot that are based on two opposite principles, uh, two opposite opposing opinions within the Mishnah, both anonymous? So this is not a satisfying answer. So second answer. Oh, we're talking in the Mishnah here in uh, in in Masechet Ketubot. We're talking about oh, the woman. She said she said I'm not going to collect. Uh, that 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 land. She wrote that as a divorcee. She was uh, she had been divorced from her husband, and so even though she's divorced, she still has a lien on the land because she didn't get the kituvah payment yet. At that point, she told the purchaser, "Listen, I'm not going to uh, collect the land." And now, obviously, here she's not saying that to to get goodwill with her husband because they're not even married anymore. They probably hate each other. And so therefore, if she says, I'm giving up my right to per- to collect, that is binding. That's why the Mishnah in Kitubot is binding because they are already divorced, whereas the Mishnah in, in Gitin is where they are still married. And so there, she could be she was pressured for her husband to for goodwill and that, therefore, it's not binding. Third answer, Rav Amar, Kula Rabbi Meir. It could be that both Mishnayot are the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who said that if you give up your right, uh, it is... Um, he, it is uh, binding, right? That is, that's what he said. It is, in fact, binding. And so she gives up her right. But, But only said that in that baraita, where there were two buyers. The reason is, but Abimeir only said his law that she loses the right of Ketuvah there in that case where she didn't sign the first sale and she did sign the second sale because if it were true that she wanted to have make uh, uh, have good relations with her husband and she didn't mean it, then she should have uh, signed the first one also and said, I agree to the first sale also. So from the fact that she did not have do a, an act of goodwill for the first sale, but she did um, sign over the second one, shows that she's sincere about her giving up the right, right? Because if it was really about the husband's pressure, pressure he would have pressured her on, uh, for the first one as well. So it's only in that case where there are two buyers and there's a contrast between them, and one, she agrees to the sale, 
And once she doesn't agree to the sale, that shows that she is really sincere. She wanted to give up the right, so there she cannot renege and get it back. Um, but the uh, but the Mishnah, our Mishnah in Masechet Ketubot Matitin de Kaptavle Leacher is where. The husband previously had sold another piece of land. The Mishnah didn't bother telling us about the background of the story; it wasn't important. And she did not agree to that to the to the sale. Uh, she said no. So that shows that she over there she she's you know she's confident and she's not going to do something just because he he pressured her. And then in the in the other in the next case when he came in and and sold the uh, another piece of land. That's when the first wife said, oh, you know what? I'm not going to collect it from you. The fact that now she agrees to it shows that she is sincere. And that's why in the case of the Mishnah in, in Ketubot, she cannot take it back. She had already sold a previous piece. And it is, in fact, the opinion of Rabbi Meir. The Mishnah in Gitin, on the other hand, is talking about a simple case where there was only one sale. And so when she said, I'm not going to collect it from you, she is not. Uh, she, she may have been lying because she may have been doing it only to gain goodwill with her husband. And therefore, the Bimeir would agree that uh, she can renege and then go ahead and recollect it. So according to this, uh, every all both Mishnahot can be the Bimeir. And the Mishnah Ketubot happens to be the same case as the one in the Braita, where there's two sales and the contrast between the two sales shows that she is uh, uh, sincere than when she gave it away and she cannot renege on it. All right, that's the end of the first section. Now, we're going to quote yet another Mishnah in Gitin. Tenanatam en nifra'in menechasim meshubadim makom sheyesh nechasim benehorin. Vafilu hen ziburit, a woman who wants to collect her ketubah or a debt, anyone who wants to collect a debt, cannot collect from a land that had a lien and was already sold if there is land available, right? If the husband or the, um, or the borrower has land there, then you keep the, the, the um, collector cannot go to the land that was already sold, even if there is a lien on it. And this is true even if the property that is currently in the, in the borrower's hands is of inferior quality. Usually, uh, some, a, a creditor uh, can collect from medium quality. Uh, but so, and they'll say the one that, that was sold already was of medium quality, but nevertheless, the collector cannot go and say, I want the medium quality that was sold and has a lien on it. He has to take whatever is currently available if something is available. Fine, that's the Mishnah. Now, question. What if, yeah, there is a a piece of a field in the hands of, we'll call it the husband, or it could be um, a borrower also, and the hands of the husband, there is, there is a field there, but the field became blighted. It became uh, uh, flooded or uh, you know destroyed in whatever way. It's not usable. So do you say, well, it is a field there, and therefore the wife, come and take that field, right? It's your bad luck that the field that was meant to pay you is no longer usable. But since the field does exist, you don't have a right to go and collect, repossess the lien property that was already sold. Or do we say, you know, since uh, this since this is unusable and not worth anything, therefore it's as if it doesn't exist, and she can go and collect from the land that was sold. That's the question. We'll try to answer it. 
תשמה. כתב לראשון ולא חתמה לו, לשני וחתמה לו. איבדה כתובתה דברי רבי מאיר. This is why we're bringing it in, because we just quoted this בראיתה. So we can try to answer the question from this בראיתה. Um, that, that said, once again, if a man sold two properties and the first one, he could not convince his wife to sign, to countersign. And so she says, I don't agree to that sale. But the second time she does agree, uh, she does agree to the sale. She loses out on both ketuvot. She cannot pay anything. Shows that she is sincere because this one she agreed to. And she can't even collect from the first guy because the first guy can come and say, don't bother me. There was land there that he had in possession when I bought my land. So you go take that one. Now, if you would answer the question up here to, uh, in the positive and say, yes, uh, that the, if land is destroyed, then she can go collect from the sold land. Well, then we would apply the same principle in this case. If you think that she can collect the land that was sold because the land in the husband's possession is destroyed, well then the same would be true in this in this case. The woman could go to the first husband, uh, to the first buyer, and say, "Listen, I want to repossess your field." And when he says, "Oh, but there's a field that was available when I bought it," she can say back, "Yeah, but that field is unavailable because I agreed." not to collect from it. So her agreement not to collect from it is equal to it being destroyed, right? The, the same thing. In both cases, she has no access to it. It's not worth uh, anything to her. It can, she cannot use it to collect her ketuva. And so if you would say that she can collect uh, from from the uh, the repossess when the field is just destroyed, then here also we, she would say, yes, yeah, true that she cannot collect from the second because she agreed, but let her go and collect from the first um, because it's as if the second one doesn't exist. And yet, Rabbi Meir does not say that. Rabbi Meir says, you lost your entire ketubah and the first buyer can say, even though you have no access to the second, it was available. There is land physically that present. And even though you can't collect it, that's not my problem. And so to here, the buyer could say, even though your land is destroyed, sorry, that's your problem. I don't have to give up my land because your land is destroyed. It exists. You have to take that and leave me alone. Okay, so this is an attempted proof to say that she cannot collect uh, um, land that was sold if any land exists. Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak says a revolutionary interpretation of this parayata. When Rabbi Meir says she loses her ketubah, doesn't mean she loses it altogether. It only means she loses the right to collect from the second buyer. But maybe she can go back to the first buyer and collect it because the second one's not available. And therefore, too, here, uh, when uh, the first, uh, the, when the, uh, uh, the piece of land in, his, in the husband's possession is destroyed, she can go to the buyer and say, I can't, that one's not usable. Give me your land. So that's what he wants to answer. Uh, Marava, Marava goes back and defends the opinion that says no. Uh, for two reasons, you're reading that Ibeda in this Baraita means she only loses the right to collect from the second. That's not that's not the language. That's not what the language means. Loses or kituba means loses it altogether from both. She cannot collect. Furthermore, he'll prove 
that the his the, the principle of Nachman wants to say is not true. Ve'od Tanya Lavamin ha'echad umachad nechasav lishnayim vekata ba'al chov ladokeach din udvarim en li mecha. A certain person borrowed, let's say, a hundred dollars from one, and he sold his fields. He has two fields worth fifty each. And he sells it to two different people. And the uh, the creditor writes to the second buyer, "I am not going to collect your land." To the second buyer, um, In that case, if the borrower doesn't have cash to pay the uh, creditor, the creditor cannot go collect from the first buyer. Because the first buyer who bought first, he can say, when I bought, there was land available that was still in the possession of the borrower. So go and take that one. Leave me out of this. Right? Go take that one first. And uh, therefore, let's say each both lands were worth a hundred, so they you know go take that and fulfill your entire loan. You cannot go take from me. And what we see in this case is that he does not the bisparaita does not say that the um, uh, creditor can say, oh, but I already agreed that I have no access to that, so psychic doesn't exist, and therefore I can collect from you. No, you cannot do it. And therefore, Dava um, goes back and supports the uh, the opinion, the conclusion that. No, you cannot collect from a land that uh, you cannot collect from the first buyer, even if the if, if if you agreed not to collect from the second buyer, and so too you cannot collect from sold land, even if the land that's available is destroyed. All right, but the last line is hatam In fact, there is no proof from this baraita to our original question because in this but in, in this baraita, it's the, the 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 person, the man, whoever wrote that I'm not going to collect. They did something actively that caused a loss to themselves. Uh, the, the she said, I won't I won't collect from the the second one. Once she said, I'm not going to collect from the second one, she loses the right to collect from the second. She brought up that upon herself. The first guy's like, what, but because you two colluded, you're going to take my field? No, I don't agree to that. So there she has no right. She loses her ketuvah. But that's not the same as our original question, which was when there, um, one land is, piece of land is sold by the husband. The land that he has in possession is destroyed. That's not her fault. She didn't do anything to destroy it. She's out her ketuvah. This is not fair. And there, in that case, maybe she can very well go to the first, uh, to the buyer, and collect it. So, in fact, there's no proof from this baraita. So Rav Yemad asks Rav hold on, we have cases, daily cases like this where if something destroyed, but nevertheless they can go back to the buyer and and take uh, and take the field here's an example there was one guy who mortgaged his uh, orchard uh, for to someone for 10 years in other words he took a loan and he said listen you can use my orchard take all the produce 
for 10 years and that will pay off the loan and then I'll get the orchard back and we'll be even. The problem is, after five years, the orchard was old, was not producing fruit anymore. So the case came before the rabbis and the rabbis wrote, for the that mortgage holder, the uh, the the lien holder, the he, the, um, the the creditor who also had a lien on the guy's other properties, he wrote uh, they wrote the rabbis wrote uh, authorization to repossess lien property that he had otherwise already sold. So that proves that um, he had there's there's land that he has right there. He's, he currently owns it. Um, but it's not productive. So, yes, you can go and collect from sold property if the current property is is destroyed. So we should, this is simple, you know, we always do, we always do this. Um, therefore, the answer should be obvious that, yes, you can go and collect. But we answer, No, there, the buyers also, they brought it upon themselves. It was somewhat their fault because they look, they see this field that the the, the, the one selling them th- this field, um, he owns an orchard and the orchard is has a uh, is mortgaged out to someone else to a creditor who has a lien on all of his property including this land that is, he's buying now and so and they know everyone knows that orchards they tend to age and they can go bad and therefore they accepted the risk when that buyer bought that other piece of land, he accepted the risk that the orchard may go bad and then he'll be able to take it. So that's why in this case he can go after that land. Um, this, you know, this case that you were talking about, that's why he can go after the land. But in general, if it's something that is uh, just a, an act of nature, uh, so all of a sudden there's a hurricane that destroys it uh, and, there's, and the, the buyer was, had no reason to think that would happen, then that question is still left open. The bottom line, nevertheless, halacha is that if the unsold property that's still in the hands of the husband becomes destroyed, then the creditor, in this case we'll say the wife, can repossess that whatever was sold to the third party. And it says it's as if it doesn't exist. That's the bottom line. All right. Abaye taught the following halacha. If a man goes to an unmarried woman and he says, I'm gifting you this field, but and you can use it for your whole life. After you die, I want it to go to a second beneficiary. Okay, so that normally will happen. But let's say in the meantime, uh, she receives the field and then she got married. The, uh, in that case, Baal lokeach Baal kilum. In that case, the husband is considered like a buyer, and just as if when she owns it, when she's alive, she is the full owner, and therefore she can sell it, and the sale is final. That second beneficiary cannot come back and take it. And so to the husband is like a partner. And just like a woman cannot sell something without her husband's agreement because they're partners in that field, so too, once she marries, the husband is like a buyer. And when even after the wife dies and the husband still owns it, that Polony guy does not get it. 
that's Abaye's halacha, um, that you can make this kind of conditional sale. A will get it, and then B will get it, but while A has it, if A transfers it to another person or gets married, then B never gets it. That's Abaye's law. We ask, Keman, Kihaitana, who does Abaye follow? Abaye is going to follow Rashbag in the following Braita. The Tanya, Nechasai lich vacharecha liploni. The same thing. Someone says, Here, you, I, I give you this land, and after you die, I want it to go to Mr. B. Yarad harishon umachar umachar. If uh, the first the, uh, recipient, A, sells it, the B, after A dies, B can go from the go to the buyer and repossess it. So according to the B, it is repossessed. That's not the opinion of Abaye. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, En lasheni elama sheshiyerishon. This is no, the second recipient, Peloni, cannot take it anything from the buyer. If there's anything still left behind in A's property, they can take that. But sorry, once it, when it's A's, the A has a right to fully sell it and cannot get it back. B cannot get it back. And that would be the same as the husband who is just like a buyer. Okay. Now we ask, did Abaya really say this? We have, uh, Abaya said another thing. Rasha says, what does it mean? Uh, Abaya said, what does it mean? A wicked person who is uh, smart, wily. Now he does uses a, a legal trick to do something evil. That's someone, if you would give someone advice, right? Let's say you go and meet uh, this wife uh, or, you know, the first recipient and you tell him, listen, you know what to do? If you don't want B to get it, sell it to someone else. And that way, now you get money, you get cash in your hands. And when you die, don't worry about it. That person can't can't take it because we followed a bunch of Liel. This is why legally... Uh, uh, applicable and you know it works. Nevertheless, this was an this is uh, using a legal loophole for evil because now you know the the giver wanted it to go to B, and now you're uh, causing B to lose out on something that should be coming to him. So Abaye said, "This is an evil thing to do." So even though it, is, it, it works, it's valid. But it's evil. So would Abaye really say this? And the answer is yes. Abaye didn't say that she should go and get married just so that she can keep the field and prevent B from getting it. He just said, if she got married, I mean, you know what, she, she's not allowed to get married just because someone gave her a field that will go to someone else. She loves the guy. She wants to get married. If that happens, um, then... The uh, uh, as a happens to be a consequence, an unfortunate conference consequence for B is that B will not be able to plenty will not be able to get it because the Hun's husband gets it. But still, Abaya was still would say that you should not go to someone who is in such a situation and say, "Hey, uh, you you know, you'll get cash for your field now, sell it, and then you can cheat out B." That would still be evil. All right, Vamad Abaya. Now a second opinion, a second statement of Abaye, a similar but slightly different case. In this case, someone says to a married woman, the government is going to show in a second that this is talking about a married woman. While she's married, a man, someone comes and says, "Here, I'm giving you this gift of this field, and you can use it as long as you're alive. Afterwards, it's going to go to Ploni. We'll call him B again. And she sells it while she's married." sells it, and she dies. Um, in that case, 
uh, now the sell as the hands of the seller. Habal The husband has a right to go to the buyer and say, "Hey, I want this back." Just like any case, a general uh, a general rule is that anytime the woman has uh, land while they're married, he has he has he doesn't own it, but he has a partnership in it. He has control over the land, and therefore he can come and say, "I never agreed to my wife selling that land, and so I'm repossessing it from the buyer." The husband has a right to do that. But, but B, right, the plony, he comes and says, it's supposed to go to me after, your, after the wife has, has died. She has died. Now give it to me. So he has a right to collect it. But then the buyer comes back and says, wait, I bought it. I bought it first. And the halacha is that if I bought it, then it doesn't go to Peloni. And so I want to, I'm going to take it back from you. In that case, while it looks like it could go round and round, we don't make it do so. Instead, the bottom line is we leave it in the hands of the buyer. So even though theoretically the husband has a right to take it, and then the plony has a right to take it from the from the husband, um, uh, but the buyer can then come back and say, uh, yeah, but the they the wife had a full right to sell it to me to the buyer before you. I have prior right from then you uh, Peloni and take it back, and they could go round and round. We don't say that. So that's the question. How is this case different from our Mishnah, where they keep going around and around until? They make a compromise. But here we just leave it in the hands of the buyer. In the case of the Mishnah, each of the three parties has a loss. The buyer gave money for for it. The woman, this is her kituva payment. She's going to be out uh, if she doesn't have it. Uh, the other wife, she'll be out of her um, uh, uh, of her uh, kituva payment if she loses it. So everybody is uh, incurring a loss, and it's all equal loss. So therefore, they all have an equal right to it. It keeps going round and round. But in this case, the original guy gifted it to the woman. And the only one that spent money on it is the buyer. He gave money for it. The other two is just going to be a secondary gift, a re-gift, if you will. Right? Uh, it's going to go to Plony as a second gift. Or the husband, he never paid for it. It just goes to him because he has a right like a buyer. And therefore, since the buyer is the only one that actually will incur a loss... Um, although the other two have a legitimate claim to it, the buyer's claim is greater and he keeps it. Good. Azal Rafram Rafram said the second statement here of Abaye, or I guess third statement of Abaye, to Ravashe. And he asked, Wait, did Abaye say that? Remember the first statement he said? Back then said that if a man gifts uh, something to a woman and says it's for you while you're alive and then it goes to Plony and she goes and gets married, then the husband keeps it and B does not get it at all. 
um, because that is like the first buyer. And therefore, B would not be able to collect it from the husband. How come Abaya in this case over here said that Ploni can collect it from the husband? There seems to be a contradiction. The first statement of Abaya was when she was single. Where? Because she was single and she enters the marriage, her entrance to the marriage is, is at that point, the husband acquires the land, and so he is the first buyer, and therefore he can keep it, Ploni cannot take it. But in the case, the last statement of Abaye is when the person giving the gift gives it to her when she's already married. So when he says, I'm giving it to you, when you die, it goes to Ploni, he meant really Ploni and not your husband. In other words, that's built into the condition because he knows that she's married. He's building into the condition. I want, I want it to go. You can use it while you're alive. And after, you're, after you die, I want it not to go to your husband. You are married. I know you have a husband. I'm putting that into the clause. No, not your husband, but rather to the other guy. That's why in, this, in the last case, Peloni has a prior right over the husband. And so the husband has a right to collect it from the purchaser because the husband says, it's my, uh, it's, we, we're partners. But B, C, Peloni has a right to take it from the buyer for this reason, even though the purchaser can go back and say, yeah, but I'm the purchaser and purchasers are before um, uh, before the uh, 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 before the, before Plony. All right, so these are um, fun uh, paradoxes where A is greater than B and B is greater than, than C, but nevertheless A is not greater than C, C is greater than A. And um, okay, two more paradoxes of the same type. The last line in the Mishnah says, "Vechen ba'alchob," and we so just like we can create a case with a man with and two wives, where it goes around in circles. So too we can create a case with a creditor. How so? Tana vechen ba'alchob ushne lakochot. You have a borrower. He borrowed a hundred dollars. The borrower also had two fields worth fifty each. And he um, sold those two fields, one to one guy and one to the second. And then the creditor, in the meantime, waives his right to collect the land from the second purchaser. Okay, so when it comes time to collect, he goes to the first buyer and repossesses the land. Okay, that's fine. But then the first buyer can go to the second buyer and say, hey, wait a second, I was, I was here first. I bought first, and therefore I have a prior lien, so you give me the land that you bought. So he does. And uh, now the second buyer is out, so the second buyer can go back to the creditor and say, give me that you said you're not going to collect from me. And now look, you have the land, so give it back to me. So then the creditor has to give the land back to the uh, second buyer, and you start the process all over again, uh, all over again the creditor goes to the first buyer once again so here we have the same thing and they're going to have to end it by compromising and and the same thing would be a female creditor if she wanted to collect her uh, her kituva 
instead of there being two wives, it could be the same thing with one wife, but the husband sold his land to two people, and she said to the second purchaser, I'm not going to collect from you. Same thing there, she'll collect from the first uh, guy, but the first guy will then repossess from the second buyer, the second buyer will collect, will repossess from the wife, and so on forever, and I think this is a good lesson that uh, in the end we have to compromise because uh, if we don't, then everybody will lose out and so compromise is the best policy. Hadran Allah Mishaya Nasui Hazakimu Buruchim.